0: Hello and welcome to On the Board. I'm Mike Fast. On today's episode, we look at week three of the NFL and week one of the SEC in college football. And when you look to week three in the NFL, you look to what seems to be the game of the year in the NFL this season. The 2-0 Chiefs coming into Baltimore to face the 2-0 Ravens on Monday night. Last week, both teams obviously got wins, but the Chiefs had to go to overtime on the road against the Chargers, while the Ravens at Houston didn't win comfortably, but the result never really seemed to be in doubt. The Houston front pressure gave a lot of tough looks to Lamar Jackson and company, and Lamar didn't escape as he would have liked to at times, but he just showed why he's an ever-improving quarterback. He's second in the league in passer rating, first in the league in throws that result in first down percentages, and first in the league in yards per attempt. So as we've seen so far with a year and a half of a sample size leading up to this 2020 campaign, Lamar Jackson is always improving as a passer, always improving his ball mechanics. Now, he might not put up the gaudy numbers of a Josh Allen or a Russell Wilson or a Patrick Mahomes, even though he put up great numbers last year. But The point is, his effectiveness as a passer comes through the big play. And so he will put up a lot of big passes over the course of a season, but he doesn't need a high volume of attempts to do it. So, of course, everywhere you look, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year. The Ravens were 14-2 and last year. Both teams are off to 2-0 starts. There are stars everywhere, and we could spend a whole hour on just these two teams alone, but we won't. I will say, though, the Ravens have some work to do. Now, they are favored by three and a half. By Vegas right now. And they definitely remember the last two years, 2018-2019. Played Kansas City both years, which doesn't always happen for an out of division team. But they played Kansas City the last two years, both times in Kansas City. And lost both games, but by a total of eight points. So to go into a place like Kansas City, which is so hard to play of course, with fans the last two years. And coming out of there with two losses, not ideal, of course, but only losing those games by a combined one possession. And now knowing your best player, Lamar Jackson, is markedly better than he was in those games. You're playing at home in prime time under the lights. You have to feel good about your chances. And I will say, and I've said this before, if you're the Ravens and you know the Chiefs are on your schedule, you obviously want to play them at home and you want to play them early in the season because ideally you have all your players fresh. And of course that's not the case with Tavon Young, but the rest of the team even has had a couple of knocks so far in the season, they seem to be good to go. And I think personally the key is going to be the Ravens' offensive line against the Chiefs' defensive line and defensive front because not so much limiting Lamar Jackson escaping the pocket. Now we know that he is able to throw if he's unable to scramble. But if the Chiefs' defensive front prohibits the Ravens' offensive front from executing their run schemes, that's a major problem. I don't know if they will. I think the Ravens will have more success than not running the ball, but it's not a given. And let's just say, if the Ravens aren't running effectively, Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins, Justice Hill, so forth and so on, if if those guys aren't getting off on the right foot, and Lamar Jackson has to pass exclusively, that's not going to be good for the Ravens. Not because Lamar is devoid of talent by any stretch, but for any team, you don't want to make them one-dimensional. Especially when that team, in this case being the Ravens, is predominantly a run-first offense. I think the game will be close. I think, as of right now, it's going to be somewhere in the area of 30-23 to Ravens. Uh, I think a lot of, te- a lot of points will be scored by both teams, but it won't get into the five, six touchdown each category. Um, I think each defense will make a couple of big plays, but overall the offenses will have their day. And I think the Ravens will just make a couple more plays on each side of the ball. And at the end of the day, you have the best kicker in the history of football. And that's the best thing to have really in these close playoff type games. So. I look for the Ravens to come out victorious, albeit by one score. Now, looking to the rest of the league, 11 undefeated teams left, and yes, it's only in week two, so there are going to be a good amount of those teams, but I have to say, the Dallas Cowboys coming back from that huge deficit at home against the Falcons was pretty remarkable, not just for how the Falcons essentially let them come back, but how the Cowboys persevered in coming back. And I say that because traditionally, it seems like the Cowboys have been on the wrong side of big leads evaporating. Traditionally, it seems like the Cowboys... When a lead goes out the window, they had the lead and they were trying to hold on to the end of the game or maybe they have a field goal attempt to win it or to tie it or they have to hold the team at the end and they commit a penalty or they blow a coverage or whatever it may be. And that last part of the game doesn't go their way. But then this past Sunday, it was the opposite. They scored... They got a crazy onside kick. If you haven't seen it, you have to look it up. It was unconventional to say the least, but credit to the Cowboys. They fought until the last whistle blew, and they came out victorious. They earned it. Okay, you know you could say the Falcons gave it away, and maybe they did. But overall, at the end of the day, the credit goes to Dallas, and I think that's very telling, and it's very big. Especially for the Cowboys historically, compared to what the Cowboys historically have been, as we just pointed out. But also, coming into this year, Dak Prescott, look, he had a great day, okay? If the Cowboys lost that game, you know he wasn't going to get credit for that. And as strong-willed as he can be... It's not going to be nice. It's not going to put you in a focused frame of mind to hear those questions about, do you feel extra pressure to bring the team up from this loss, as it almost was against Atlanta, when he knows he did his part. So he now doesn't have to deal with any of that. He now gets the credit and gets that positive energy going forward. And that's huge early because it's a tone setter. As we pointed out last week, teams that go 0-2 are historically very, very limited in terms of their chances just to even make the playoffs, much less proceed in the playoffs. So these first few weeks, of course they don't tell the whole story, but it's very big in setting the tone since the NFL only plays a 16-game schedule. So Dallas really impressed me. Of course, Russell Wilson is having a great MVP-type year. Once again, the Packers did very well. Uh, their, their team is clicking, as they usually are. You know, you really feel bad for the San Francisco 49ers. They have had multiple guys go on IR. Huge, huge defensive stars like... Nick Bosa, and a lot of their defensive line, actually, which was the strength of their team. And then just like that, not only are those guys... It's not just that they're not performing well. It's not that they're out for a game or two. A few of them are out for the year. Garoppolo got hurt in the game. And and so George Kittle is banged up. Debo Samuel still isn't right yet. And, And so... Oh, by the way, the rest of that division is 2-0. So, although San Francisco is only 1-1, they're technically in last place, which again, might be only one game, but one game is big. So, a lot of action so far in the first two weeks of the NFL. Of course, we talked about the upcoming game, the Ravens-Chiefs being what I think will be the game of the year, and Potentially, of course, it can't be a Super Bowl preview, but it looks to be the odds-on favorite of a potential AFC championship matchup. But speaking of the Super Bowl, I went back and did a little bit of research on how past Super Bowl champions have performed the next year. I looked at the previous 10 Super Bowl winners. What I found was, in their Super Bowl winning season, starting with the 9 Saints through the 2018 patriots. it didn't include the 2019 chiefs because we don't know what their 2020 season record will be. so the 09 saints through the 2018 patriots, the last 10 super bowl winning teams. in those regular seasons, they had a win-loss record of 117 and 43. that equates to a 73.1 win percentage. Of course since it's 10 seasons just divide by 10 so you're looking at about a 12 and 4 record which is very good. Usually if you get to double digits if you get to 10 wins you have a very strong shot at making the playoffs. 12 and above you're looking at probably a division title if not a first round bye. So no surprise that the last 10 Super Bowl champions averaged about a 12 and 4 record in their Super Bowl winning year. Now Here's the interesting part. The year after, they had a combined record of 110 and 50. Now, while that's only a drop off of about a game or in winning percentage it's 68.8%, which is a loss or a downgrade if you will of minus -4.3%. What that means is you basically go from 12 and 4 to 11 and 5. Doesn't seem like a lot, right? Once again, might be one game, but one game is big. So you go from like we just said probably a division title to maybe a wild card. I mean, we know the rules now, even though they're letting in another playoff team to make it 7 from each conference, you know, you could be in a division where the winner's 14 and 2, you could be 13 and 3 and be the fifth wild card seed and have to play on the road that's one game but like you know like we've been saying one game's big so you go essentially from 12 and 4 to 11 and 5 and that's also including i might add the 2010 packers they went 10 and 6 in their super bowl year the year after they went 15 and 1 okay and so those numbers could be worse but 11 and 5 means you're probably in the playoffs yes but You go from winning the Super Bowl to being in the playoffs, but when you go from winning the Super Bowl, you expect to maybe, maybe you don't even expect it, but you probably, in some respect, account for a regression of some sort. Although, within that regression, you probably still think, well, we should have a home game, probably win the division, might have to go on the road for the conference championship, something like that. But if you're on the road throughout the playoffs, you essentially have to earn it all over again. After you've just been through a grueling season, the year after, you went through a grueling season to climb that mountain. And now you have to do it all over again when it seems like you've just been going nonstop. And so that takes a big, big toll. Physically, teams are more or less comparable If you have a lot of huge injuries, you're probably not in the playoffs. If you're fairly healthy, you probably are. The tiebreaker a lot of times is mental. The teams that have come off of a Super Bowl the previous year have that mental pressure of we have to do it again. We kind of have to validate it, which is really silly because you validated it by winning the Super Bowl. You don't, you know, each year is its own. But that's just kind of how it seems, right? Whereas the teams that didn't win the Super Bowl have a mental positive, if you will. They have that mental edge, that mental motivation of, look, our clock's ticking. We were close last year, or maybe we didn't have a good year at all last year. Now we have a great opportunity to get the ultimate prize. They're motivated. Whereas it it just I have this kind of idea that teams coming off the Super Bowl, whether they want to admit it or not, feel like they kinda have to sprint. You know, if you can imagine your legs on a treadmill, you like you're sprinting, but you're really only treading water. Like you're not gaining as much ground as you think you should be. So after a course of 16, 17, 18, 19 weeks, that's going to take its toll. And here's the stat of the week. While looking at the last 10 Super Bowl winners, and then looking at their next seasons, in those next seasons, those teams have combined for a losing playoff record. Those teams in the following year have a combined record of six and seven. And only seven of those ten teams even made the playoffs the next year. So the last ten Super Bowl winners, only seven made the playoffs. And in those games, they were 6-7 and seven on losing record. We did briefly mention a few minutes ago, the Packers, of 2010. They won the Super Bowl the next year, 15-1. and one, They lost an the opening round. The Patriots. In 2018, they won the Super Bowl. The next year, had a better record, 12-4. and four. They lost in the opening round. So, the two teams out of the last 10 that actually reached the Super Bowl the next year, they did both lose. Uh, it was the Seahawks in 2013, went in 2014, of course, lost to the Patriots by four. Russell Wilson threw that goal line interception. To Malcolm Butler, we all remember that one. And then the Patriots of 2016 lost to the Eagles the next year, the Philly Special, 41-33. to So another way you could say it was, out of the last 10 Super Bowl winners, only two have gotten back. And those two both lost. So... If you're a Chiefs fan, of course, we're not saying it's impossible. No one's suggesting that. A lot of people are betting on you to do it. But even if they don't make it to the Super Bowl, they're sure going to be fun to watch. I mean, how can you not like Patrick Mahomes? Lastly, we're going to move on to college football. Now, as we know, college football has been going on for a few weeks. And thankfully, players have been pretty safe in terms of covid they really have been tested, course, all the time, but no player seems to have adverse effects. There was a recent study updated on Tuesday, so just two days ago, out of 48,299 reported COVID-19 cases, Throughout multiple universities, 37 universities, in fact, there were two hospitalizations. Again, there was a study released this past Tuesday where 37 universities reported cases of COVID-19, many of which are big-time college football programs. 48,299 reported cases, two reported hospitalizations one at the university of wisconsin and one at san diego state so all that to say it's good to see college football back we have about a month in you know there were a lot of positive tests in the beginning as we expected because kids were coming from uncontrolled environments now they're in controlled environments seems to be working out and we hope of course it continues to stay that way now this week One of the conferences that is starting is the SEC. They have seven games on the schedule. 23rd-ranked Kentucky goes to 8th-ranked Auburn, which is the only game of the seven where both teams are ranked. So that should be a pretty good one. Alabama, 2nd-ranked Alabama, goes to Missouri. The closest one in terms of the spread, number 16, Tennessee, goes to South Carolina, Tennessee is only favored by three and a half points. That's the closest spread listed in the conference. Probably the two most intriguing games, at least in my opinion, are number five, Florida, going to old Miss. New coach Lane Kiffin hosting a power program in Florida. And then Mike Leach coming from Washington State to Mississippi State, his first game at the defending champion at six ranked LSU Tigers. Good luck, Mike Leach. Although, if you know Mike Leach, and I don't know him personally, but I've seen a bunch of interviews, uh, I don't think he's going to be faced by that. You also have Vanderbilt going to number 10 ranked Texas A&M, and number 4 Georgia travels to Arkansas. So, you start at 12, the last game starts at 7, maybe ends at 10, so about 10 hours of s e c football, not to mention some other big games, bear in mind now with these rankings we still don 't have the big ten playing, we still't have some really big programs playing which would definitely garner top rankings, but really it's not about the rankings right now, you know, going into last weekend in September when you really start conference play, a lot of these teams would have played out of conference. Games, maybe a one double A team to kind of be a de facto preseason game for them as they usually do. So, a lot of these teams are still on pace in terms of their conference competition according to what they usually do anyway. So, from that sense, it's not really a drop off, but nevertheless, it should be a great day of football. And then, of course, Sunday with the NFL. All the while, knowing the best game is even the next night. So now we're getting into the part of the year where the NBA is wrapping up, the NHL is wrapping up, baseball is getting ready for their playoffs. Two weeks from this Saturday is the Preakness here in Baltimore, October 3rd. So that's happening. I mean, NASCAR's at the stretch run, as is golf. You know, we, we waited a long time. And obviously sports, deservedly so, took a backseat to what was really ailing this nation back in March and April. So things are starting to come back to normal in force instead of just strips and drabs. So that is great to see. And what better way to celebrate that than a weekend of football? At least that's my opinion. So I want to thank you for listening to this episode of On the Board. As always, we'd love it if you would Rate, comment, share this episode. However you want to do it, we appreciate it. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next time on the board.